we should have known that our two-year-old was going to try to steal the show from our eight-month-old <laughs> and need mommy the entire time. I feel like my wife needs a medal for, deserves a medal for holding both of those kids <laughs> that long. But I love being a part of a church. One of the elders was saying this to me back there that I love the sound of children in church. Because as soon as that sound is gone, so is the future. And the reason why ACC is a church that is multi-generational is because we believe for the church to live out its full potential for the glory of God, it must always be fully invested into everyone who's coming up next because next is a lie. Next is now. So if you're here and you're in middle school, you're in high school, you're in college, you are who we were aiming this church at when it started. And if it comes across like, man, they're really like doing what they're doing with an effort toward reaching young people. It's because we realize when you stop doing that, your church stops existing. You've got to continually be serious about the next generation. And what's so amazing about the families you saw on stage and the families represented in this church is that people are bought into that. People are all in for that. There are so many families, there are so many couples in their 40s, in their 50s, in their 60s who are all in to ACC. I got a little frustrated this week. Somebody was like, man, it's so powerful what God's doing through your church and the lives of those college students. That, that, that offended me. I was like, you just left out half the church because there are families upon families. There are senior citizens in our church. There are people that have retired. There are kids. We have every generation represented here and we want you to know that even though our church is very aimed at raising up the next generation, it is open to anyone and everyone. And there are people finding a place and a space to call home here. We love our families. I guess the guy wearing black is the only one who loves the families. But if you guys want to clap, then that's fine too. Okay, fine, I'll preach. We've been, we've been in a series called Even Now. It's been powerful. The two words even now come out of Joel chapter 2, and it's actually a prophecy where the prophet Joel is pronouncing really intense judgment to the people of God, Israel. They've been disobedient for generations, and God basically says through Joel, I'm coming to take you out, and then all of a sudden in chapter 2, it says, even now, declares the Lord. If you will turn to me with all your heart, everything could change. Our God is the God of even now. He's not just the God who says now if you change, things could be different. He's the God who says even now. What does that mean? That means God's aware of the past. He's aware of the baggage. When somebody says even now, they're saying, yeah, I kind of know that there's something on the back end there, but that doesn't change my availability in this moment. If you're here today and you're carrying a past, you're carrying shame, you walked in here with something that you wish wasn't hanging over you for the past week, for the past month, for the past year, welcome to a relationship with a heavenly father who says, even now, if you turn to me, everything can change and everything will change, even now. And so every week of this series, we've been saying every day is a new opportunity to step into the life Jesus died for you to live. If you're new to ACC, you're going to hear the life Jesus died for you to live a lot. Because I think too much has been made of Jesus giving us eternal fire insurance and getting us to heaven instead of everything being about the fact that he's the fullness of abundant life here and now and even then later. 
Jesus didn't just come so you would pray a prayer and know, okay, when I die, I'm going to heaven. Jesus came going, I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. There's a life available for you in Christ, but watch this, it requires your faith. So every morning when you wake up, I believe God is saying even now. I believe God is saying even here, and I believe, this is the cool part of what we saw last week, God is saying even you. We looked at the story of Esther and we talked about how God has this amazing, tremendous calling on your life that if you could see it, if you could taste it just for like two seconds, it would scare you what God is dreaming about doing in and through your life. But it is going to require sacrifice. It's going to require a cost and it's going to require faith. This is the last week of this series. And before I tell you who character number three from the Old Testament is, don't you think the Old Testament is cool? Like, it's all good. I love the Gospels, and I love Paul's letters, but you can also find some gold in Second Chronicles. And, and, and I just love how God's using these less-known characters of the Old Testament to speak to us right where we are. But I want you to know today, my purpose in the sermon that God has given me to preach to you is not to prove to you that I'm a good preacher. It's not to get you to make ACC your church home so that you'll come back in two weeks when we open up a new venue. My purpose is very simply to call people who have settled for a certain version of the Christian life and call them to the fullness of the life they've been created for. The reason why God put you on this planet. If you could taste that, if you could see it, if you could just breathe that in for a few minutes while we look at the word of God, that's what I want you to catch a vision of and that's what I want you to see. So I'm not trying to sell you anything. I'm not trying to convince you. I'm not up here going, okay, well, if I, if I, if I do a good enough job presenting it, then maybe they'll think this. No, I'm just a guy who actually believes Jesus is better than every other option you have for your life. And if you will follow him long enough, you will agree. Jesus wins. And so does anybody have any guesses to who person number three is as we close out even now? You're not going to see this coming unless you're friends with me and I already told you. Person number three in even now is Hezekiah, King Hezekiah, the person who went, woo, they read their Bible. Look at the person next to you say, Hezekiah. It's a fun name to say. I think it should be a more popular name. You call him Kai, you call him Kaya. You guys know Lion King? Simba has a son named Kion. It's a show called Lion Guard. I watch it often, and it's subpar to disappointing just like the real-life version of Lion King. All right, so, oh, whoa, too personal. Well, they did a good job. It's just not the same because I'm going to do a series one time called The Gospel and Lion King because I don't think I've ever seen a movie. When Mufasa says, remember who you are, I am like, that has to be what God sounds like. That has to be it. Anyway, why wouldn't God sound like James Earl Jones? Okay, Hezekiah, most of you don't even know who he is. And he is featured, I'm going to tell you all the scripture references because you're going to read them this week. 2 Kings chapters 18 through 20, 2 Chronicles chapters 29 through 32, Isaiah chapters 36 through 39. So if that's the case, why have you never heard of him? You're going to find out. This is a pretty major character in the Bible. It was eight years ago this week, I was having a normal routine, quiet time. And I came across the name Hezekiah for the first time. 
And I read his story from the book of Isaiah, and I was overwhelmed by how many things I saw that were relevant to my life. And then I found out that he's actually all over the Old Testament. He's pretty major and read all the other accounts of his life. And I knew that at some point, God was going to call me to say what he laid on my heart that day. As a 22-year-old, just got married, first month into ministry, I read this story and thought, one day, one day I'm going to preach on Hezekiah and God's going to do something powerful. That's today. And I'm, I'm a little bit freaked out about what God might do over the next few moments because I know the weight of what we're talking about. And it's not cool because I thought of it. It's cool because it's in the Bible. I got to tell y'all, watching you carry your Bibles in here, and I know I referenced it earlier, it is messing with me. Like, I don't, sometimes I think we're walking in the miracles of God without even realizing it. So let's see another miracle. If you have your Bible, hold it up. Hold it up. Not the miracle of finding a spouse. This is, this is serious, guys. Awesome. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 38. Isaiah chapter 38. Isaiah is one of the main prophets of the Old Testament. He served several kings of Israel. And while you're turning there, I want to give you the background on who exactly Hezekiah is. There was a lineage of kings in Israel that began with the greatest king of the Old Testament, King David. And it ends with the greatest king who ever lived, the king of kings that we've been singing about, Jesus himself. So the line of David had a promise over it. God made a promise to David, your son will sit on the throne of Israel forever. So Israel was a kingdom of God that ended up getting split in the Old Testament between a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And when that happened, the southern kingdom considered themselves the true Israel because they had the tribe of Judah. And David's family was from the tribe of Judah. And they also had the tribe of Benjamin, which is like a really elite tribe. So if you're in the southern kingdom, you're the cool kids, okay? You can't sit with us. That's how it was in the southern, I just referenced Mean Girls. And, uh, and in the northern kingdom, it was the ten other tribes, and they had their own king called the king of Israel, but the king of Judah was related to David. And in that line of kings, there's three different types of kings that pop up as you read through the Old Testament. There's good kings that obey God, there's bad kings that disobey God, and there's really, really, really bad kings who make God so furious that he takes out his judgment and wrath on Israel. Hezekiah's dad was a man named Ahaz, and he was one of those. When you read this account this week, if you back up and go, I want to know a little bit about Hezekiah's dad, you're going to see that he basically took all of the altars to the God of Israel and moved them, desecrated them, and put other gods in place, the gods of the nations that would defeat him. And the only reason why the nations would defeat him was because he took the rightful God off the throne. So he thought, well, their gods are more powerful than mine. No, their God's not more powerful than yours. It's that you're not serving the God who calls himself God. You're serving wooden images. You're serving idols. And so he not only takes down those idols, but he offers sacrifices of his own children, of the children of Israel in fires to other gods. Terrible man. And so God's judgment is on Israel and Hezekiah becomes king at the age of 25. And when he does, life was kind of stacked against him. I don't know who's at ACC today who was born into a family and has inherited more issues than they would have cared to ask for from God. But if you were born into a complicated family, you'll like Hezekiah. 
because he got to work on changing the narrative. He got to work quick. He started taking down the altars to the other gods and reinstilling all the things that were rightfully there before. He's breaking off the relationships with the wrong nations. He's serving God. He's pursuing God. 14 years into becoming king, he's 39 years old. He gets threatened by the greatest army that was on planet Earth at the time, the Assyrians, and he stays behind his walls and says, no, I will not make a treaty with them. We are the people of God. God's gonna come through for us and through Isaiah's advice, this is an awesome story, and I was gonna preach on it, but my sermon was an hour and a half long, and that's not an exaggeration. It's an amazing story. He stands with confidence against the king of Assyria who speaks out against God, and Hezekiah asks Isaiah, he's like, is God gonna come through for us? Is he gonna come through? And God goes, oh, I'm gonna come through for you. And God moves the Assyrians. He wipes out 200,000 of their men and then takes out their commander. While he's worshiping his God, he gets taken out by his two sons. The Bible's fun. It's so cool. That's what I was gonna preach on. So God's done all these amazing things through Hezekiah. He gets older, he's been faithful to God, and that's where we are gonna pick up the story in Isaiah chapter 38. I gave you plenty of time for those of you who are rookies and looking in your table of contents and getting there. You should be there. If you're there, say I'm there. Isaiah chapter 38, verse one. In those days, Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death. The prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, went to him and said, this is what the Lord says. Put your house in order because you are going to die. You will not recover. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. Remember, Lord, how I have walked before you faithfully and with wholehearted devotion have done what is good in your eyes. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. There's a relationship in the Old Testament between prophets and kings. The prophets tell the word of the Lord, the king reacts and makes calls based on what he hears from God. It's an interesting relationship. But what do you do when the greatest prophet of all time, Isaiah, says, God says you're going to die. Get your house in order. Get your son ready because it's over for you. You know what you do? You weep because it must be really over for you if Isaiah is saying it because God is saying it. Like it's one thing for your friend to come in and go, hey, listen, like, you need to let it go. This relationship is over. You ever try to do that to your friend? And they never listen. And it's like, it's been two years of you guys being on again, off again, on again, off again. Can you just decide that it's over? Some of the things I'm seeing on Rose, this just got really personal so fast. Like, it's one thing if someone you trust is like, hey, it's over. If it's Isaiah, that means God said it. So he says, remember, Lord how faithfully I've walked. But he knows that this is the end. Now watch verse four. Then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah. Go and tell Hezekiah, this is what the Lord, the God of your father, David, says. I have heard your prayer and seen your tears. I will add 15 years to your life and I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria. I will defend this city. Unreal. Some of you came to church today just to hear that little sentence. I have heard your prayer and I've seen your tears. There's never a time that you have ever called out in anguish toward God and he didn't hear every word that you said. 
There's never a tear that you have cried in desperation for God where the God of the universe doesn't promise you, I will wipe every tear from their eyes and in heaven I will take all of this pain and produce an eternal weight of glory. Your pain is not meaningless. Your prayer has not fallen on deaf ears. God hears you. God sees you. If you are in a season, and this could be just one person in a a sight of thousands right now, God hears you. He saw you crying. Some of you, it was last night. And even in this moment right now, you need to let the weight of that word sink in in this moment. I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears 15 more years. Now, this is a pattern in the Bible. Everybody look up here and don't miss this. This is a pattern. The Bible has this confusing pattern that's not a contradiction. It's a dual truth. The Bible's really good at taking things that can seem like competing tensions and make them complementing truths. One of them is God's sovereignty and God's contingency. This is going to get deep. If you don't know anything about the sovereignty of God, you have decided to attend a church that is pastored by someone who believes supremely in the sovereignty of God. God is in control. How much control? Total control. Nothing outside of his hands. God is not in heaven watching us like a movie. This is his story. Time is in his hands. This is unfolding completely as he wills and as he plans. And at the exact same time, God allows for human beings to participate in a contingent world of relationships where our prayers do matter, where our response to God does matter, where our relationships do matter. So know this, God is sovereign and in total control. That's not supposed to make you sit on your hands and go, well, if it's gonna unfold his way, it's gonna unfold his way. That is so prideful, that makes you God. God asks you to be a human. Who are you, O oh man, to talk back to God? You're the clay. He's the potter. What does the clay do for the potter? Obeys. And so what do you do? You take God at his word and you obey. But this is what started messing with me because I was in seminary and I was hearing all about the sovereignty of God, but I was reading my Bible and seeing all these stories that were contingent on human beings' response. This being one of the main ones. How's a prophet going to come in, talk to the king and say, it's over. I heard from God. Your life is over. You're dying from this. And then it's like Isaiah starts walking away. And I love, I love that the Bible's so clear. It says, he turned to a wall. Hezekiah didn't even turn to Isaiah and beg. He turned to a wall, almost hiding his face from the news and said, God, if you can remember me, if you can do something, please, please. And it's almost like Isaiah turns back around and goes, God heard that. 15 more years. So, Does that mean that God changed his mind? Well, we know scripture interprets scripture. God never changes his mind. He's not a human being. He's not yes and no. He's just yes. So if God doesn't change his mind, what happened? The prayer of a man moved the heart of God in real time. And God was sovereignly in control of the whole thing. Now, how you work out that mystery is beyond my brain and beyond yours. I do not think that Christians should spend all their time trying to solve the mystery of God. If he wasn't mysterious, he wouldn't be God. But I do know the part that God wants us to see from this is that there is a much higher weight on your response to your circumstances than there is on whatever your circumstances look like today. Did everybody catch that? I need everybody to catch that. There's a heavy weight on your response to what's happening in your life right now that's heavier than what you woke up and saw. So too many of us have become 
I would say, way too accepting of the way things are. We wake up in the morning, well, God willed it that way, and it is the way that it is, and my marriage is the way that it is, and my job is the way that it is, and life is the way that it is, and the world is the way that it is. And we don't understand that in God's economy, God moves in real time based on the prayers and the submission and the desperation of people. Even when God speaks through a prophet, that word still has a contingency plan. You know what it's called? Even now. So even when God speaks, even when God speaks through a prophet to a king, you don't hear it, you don't really notice it, but underneath it all is a little even now. Even now, even though you heard that word, if you will come to me with a heart that's desperate enough for me to move, I can do something new, I can do something great. And I think too many of you are way overestimating your situation and way underestimating the power of your response. Your prayers matter. Your worship matters. The way you and I respond dictates how we experience circumstances. And watch this. I don't think Isaiah had to do that. Your response, if it doesn't change anything about the actual circumstance, it changes your perspective. And the way your perspective sees something in your life will have a greater effect on whatever you're going through than even the results of what you're going through. It's a relationship. And so this story is there, and I could preach on this story all day long. But I want to show you one of the greatest tragedies in the entire Bible. As awesome as this story is and as much as I want to preach it, this is all I wanted to preach today was it's not over. You're going to get another shot. If you'll call out to God in desperation, you're going to get another shot at your marriage. You're going to get another shot at your calling. God's always got second, third, and hundredth chances in his grace. And this is the Old Testament. We got the blood of Jesus that we come before God with. Like We are Wow, it's not over. It is not over for you. But I need to get you to 39 because I think Isaiah crafted this the way that he did because he wanted to show a tension in the soul of Hezekiah. And when I read you Isaiah chapter 39, you're gonna know why you don't know who Hezekiah is. So if you're in 38, turn over to 39. We're gonna start in verse three. Essentially, Hezekiah, sorry, their names are going back and forth in my mind. They sound similar. Somebody say Hezekiah. Somebody say Isaiah. That's Australian. I only know that because I had an Australian professor who taught me about Isaiah. Just sounds better. So Hezekiah gets famous after this word from Isaiah. They're like, man, God did a miracle in your life and you're defeating the Assyrians with your little army of Judah. You're awesome. He gets visitors from a land far away. And when the visitors show up, Hezekiah welcomes them and basically shows them around the kingdom but he doesn't say one word about the faithfulness of God. He points to his stuff as his blessing. And I want you to watch the tragedy that unfolds. Look at verse three. Then Isaiah the prophet went to King Hezekiah and asked, what did those men say and where did they come from? From a distant land, Hezekiah replied, they came to me from Babylon. Everybody who knows the Bible should go, ooh, right when I say Babylon. Let's try it, just for dramatic effect. From a distant land, Hezekiah replied, they came to me from Babylon. (sighs) That was not planned. That was awesome. The prophet asks, what did they see in your palace? They saw everything in my palace, Hezekiah said. There's nothing among my treasures that I did not show them. 
that you're reading this and you really need a commentator to tell you, that's a big deal. That's a big deal to take in an evil pagan country's envoys and show them your armory, and show them your riches, and show them your places of worship. I showed them everything. Watch what happens. Then, verse 5, Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord Almighty. The time will surely come when everything in your palace and all that your predecessors have stored up until this day will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. And some of your descendants, your own flesh and blood, who will be born to you will be taken away, and they will become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. For those of you who don't know what Isaiah is referencing there, he's talking about the Babylonian exile. If you know your Bible, you know the story of Daniel. That's, like, that's exactly what happens. And it doesn't just happen because Hezekiah hosted some envoys. It happens because of generations of sin. But I wanted you to see what happened in chapter 38. Hezekiah, about to die, gets a word from the Lord that he's going to die, responds with a desperate plea, and God changes the narrative. One chapter later, Hezekiah makes a huge error. The glory of God's a big deal. Like for people to come visit you and go, man, there's, there's been miracles happening in your life. Like what is it about you that makes you so special? And for you to go, look at all my stuff. You guys can look at whatever you want because I'm the great King Hezekiah. The narrative of the Bible could really be summed up in this. God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. He was way out of line doing this. And the thing is, Hezekiah knew better. He's the son of David. He's got the writings of Solomon. He knows about wisdom. He knows he's got experience. He's at an age where he shouldn't be doing that. But remembering chapter 38, he gets a word of judgment from Isaiah. The Babylonians are coming, and they're going to carry your kids off to Babylon with your stuff, with your armory, and they're going to serve the king of Babylon there. Don't look down at your Bible. What do you think Hezekiah is going to do and what do you think he should do when he hears, it's over, Babylon's coming. He should pray again. He should do what he just did. He should fall before the Lord and go, God, I'm so sorry. I did not mean to do something like that and I, 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 you're talking about my kids and you're talking about the kingdom. Please don't do that. I hope you feel the weight of this. Isaiah chapter 39, verse 8. The word of the Lord you have spoken is good, Hezekiah replied. For he thought there will be peace and security in my lifetime. Read that. What you just said, it's good with me. It's good. I'm fine with that because I'm going to be dead before any of that happens. So, cool. And that's it. That's the end of the story of Hezekiah. If you don't know anything about the Bible, the Bible is 66 books because Isaiah has 66 chapters. There are 39 chapters, or 39 books of the Old Testament, 27 New Testament. That's because there's 39 chapters in Isaiah. And then in Isaiah 40, God's mercy begins 
for the post-Babylonian era. Man, it's just a cool Bible fact. But I think it's cool that the last moment of chapter 39, the story could have been so different. ACC, please feel the weight of this. I'm not saying that if Hezekiah would have prayed with desperation, that things would have unfolded differently. It might have unfolded the exact same way. Do not miss this. Here's what I am saying. The Bible's really intentional. It's the word of God. Please don't tell me these chapters are back to back by accident. And the Bible says a lot with what it says explicitly, but it also says a lot with what it doesn't say. Your word is good. There will be peace and security in my lifetime. End of story. And I hope you know today that in this moment, it wasn't over for Hezekiah. And if he steps in with faith, if he steps in with a prayer of desperation for God, I'm not guaranteeing you this would have happened, but if you watch the character of our God, I think there's a pretty strong chance that God would say, okay, I've heard your prayer. I've seen the way you're seeking me. I've seen how sorry you are. I've seen how desperate you are. And maybe, maybe the worst moment in Israel's history is avoided if Hezekiah leans into God. But instead, watch this. He becomes complacent. This is where Isaiah is going to collide with your life like a train wreck. The battle for Hezekiah's heart is the same battle for your heart. It's a battle between complacency and desperation. One moment he's desperate for God and God blesses him and God's moving and God's empowering him to live on purpose. And then he becomes complacent. He becomes content. Not godly contentment. A worldly contentment of, well... I was going to die, and I got 15 more years of life. That's unfortunate that the Babylonians are going to come, but at the end of the day, it could have been worse. It could have been a lot worse, so I'm good. And I want to walk through the pages of Scripture and go, Hezekiah, I understand that you got 15 more years, but here's what you need to hear. God is dreaming about 15,000 years of blessing on your life if you will act in faith right now. Oh, but you're satisfied with a little bit of blessing and you won't press in for more. ACC, I think there's some of you who have been following Jesus for a while, and, and it's been good, and God's done something in your life, but when you come to, to our church, I think you get uncomfortable. I think you get uncomfortable with how some people are worshiping God, radically following Jesus, and there's a little bit of complacency, and like, well, I, I know Jesus is awesome, but that's a little much. That's a little over the top. I want you to know the line between complacency and desperation is the same line between the life you could settle for and the life you were created for. And if you, for two seconds, would just wake up to what's at stake with whether or not you step into the call of God for your life, I think there could be an awakening in our church. I want you to notice that the circumstances that you're facing today, maybe, even though God's sovereign over those circumstances, maybe those circumstances aren't there so that you'll sit there and go, okay, that's just the way my life is. Maybe God allowed your life to become so complicated because he wanted you to say something. Because he wanted you to sing something. Because he wanted you to get to the end of yourself so much so that you had to go, God, if you don't come through and show me that you're real, I'm not going to make it. But watch this. If those words never get out of your mouth, God never gets to open his and tell you how much he loves you and do something amazing. So the pain and the complication produces an opportunity. And too many of us, and I know I do this, I just walk through everyday life and I just react to what happens. 
I react to my relationships. I react to circumstances. I react to finances. I react, okay, that's, that's the way God wants that to be. And so, but what if God doesn't want you to live a reactive life? What if he wants you to be proactive? Watch this. And the most proactive thing you can do on a daily basis to step into the call of God for your life is declare your desperation for God out loud. Stay with me. The difference between the life you could settle for and the life you were created for is dependency on God. But it's not just knowing that you're dependent on God. It's saying it. Hezekiah can think all he wants. Man, I'd love to get a few more years. You can read the rest of his prayer in Isaiah chapter 38. It's powerful. He's like, oh, I want to stay on this planet and I want to lift up praise to God. I don't want to die. I don't want this to be the end. I want to stay involved in the glory of God. Here's the difference between Hezekiah's prayer in 38 and a lot of your prayers. Hezekiah's got out of his mouth. This sermon just got so simple. Maybe the power and the presence of God is not that evident in your life because you don't actually say anything out loud to God. Ever. And it's one thing for us to just stand through some songs and listen to a sermon, but I just want you to know the presence of God by the power of the Holy Spirit comes to those who are aware of their desperation, but also those who speak it out. I mean, when's the last time you didn't just think, God, I wish you would do something different, but you said out loud in your car, God, do something different. Because here's what God's doing. He's frustrating you to the point where it has to come out. It has to come out. Because he, 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 it's always real for him. He's God. He doesn't need to prove anything to you. He's good. But he knows if he can get it through you, he can get it to you. If he gets it through you, then when he starts to act and move in your life, you will not be able to give credit anywhere else other than to his name. And if you do, you might end up like Hezekiah with 15 years of blessing when a lifetime and generations after were at stake. I want to make this message so simple. ACC, look at me, look at me. This is what I'm saying today. Talk to God out loud, so deep. <laughs> like say something. And if there's no other way I can motivate you to do it, I wanna preach to you what should have motivated Hezekiah. What made Hezekiah complacent was the thing God was trying to use to get a response out of him, the future generations. Did you notice that? Your sons, your daughters, they're going to be taken away. You know that, right? See, I think God thought, if you say that through Isaiah, and I'm reading into this, so just know, I could be wrong here. Study this heavily. I think that was supposed to prod Hezekiah's desperation, just like the sickness did. But Hezekiah is so selfish that he feels his own sickness, but he doesn't feel the sickness he's about to pass down to his own kids. Generations at stake. If you have kids in this moment, and the baby dedication didn't do it for you, this moment's about to get pretty intense. If you don't, college students especially, do not tune me out. If I could go back and tell myself anything in college, it would be about children. And it would be, you're gonna be a dad, you're gonna be a mom, way sooner than you think. And the decisions you are making today are defining the ground your kids are gonna walk on spiritually. That's what I would say. So do not tune me out in this moment. We put up this picture earlier, and I want you to know that 
Becoming a father has awakened a new level of what's at stake with whether or not I walk desperately before the Lord on a daily basis because it's not about me anymore. And, and when I got this picture this week, we, we wanted to get photos done because of baby dedication and all that. I couldn't stop looking at my kids' faces because you become a parent and you've heard about being a parent your whole life, but it's, it's just not, it still doesn't feel real. Like, the, it's my child. Those are my children. That's the combination. This is insane. Parents, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But I look at that picture, and there rises up in me the motivation to obey God and proclaim desperation for God different than anything else that's ever happened to me because here's the reality. If I don't get free from my stuff, they'll be bound to it. If I don't walk humbly and faithfully before him, they're gonna taste the weight of that. Some of you older parents in the room, you already see it in your kids. Some of you have been fighting your mom and dad your entire life because God is a God who implants the sin of generations. It's in your lap. Like you've gotta deal with your parents' stuff. And we talk a lot about that in our discipleship courses, but we, we, we always hit heavily, way more heavily on this. God blesses the faithfulness of one to a thousand generations. So if you don't get motivated for anything else that I say today, know this. The future generations of this planet are dependent on whether or not you and I express our dependency on God today. Please talk to God. Please tell him you need him. Please don't spend the next four years, the next 40 years, not really knowing how to pray. And we can teach you. We've done messages on it. Go to our YouTube page. There's a whole demonstration of how to pray. P-R-A-Y. We'll spell it out. We'll make it clear. But here's what I know about you. you got a lot going on that seems more important. And there is nothing more important to your life on a daily basis than expressing how much you need God and creating a pathway for his power to come and fill your life. And if you don't get motivated for any other reason, please be motivated by the generations that we're building behind us. You might be here and be like, well, I don't want to have kids. Principle's the same. It's always bigger than you. This is what so many people who get trapped in anxiety and depression fail to really take to heart is that it's so much bigger than how much pain you're in. It's never just about you. You're like, it's my story. Who really cares whether or not I walk humbly and faithfully? You are not going to be the only one affected. And so in the limited amount of time I have left, I realize I preached long, and I hope that that was clear. I hope you see that the only difference between Isaiah chapter 38 and 39 was this. In one chapter, Hezekiah talked to God, and in the other one, he did not. I think that's the difference between whether or not your day is lived for the glory of God or not. I'm, I know there's a lot of people in here. I, I wish I brought you something with more depth. I wish I brought something that was a little more, huh, okay, talk to God. <laughs> that's what I got. I got three quick points. And then we're not out because we got to talk about airport road. Number one is this. <laughs> so simple. Basic things that few of us do. Ask in prayer. Ask in prayer. I'm going to fly through these. I believe Jesus was right. I believe James was right. You have not because you ask not. How many things in your life could be different if a question to God would just get through your mouth? 
And I know for me, the problems that I try to solve in other people on a daily basis are usually not rooted in prayer from the beginning. I'll give you an example. We'll we'll spend all day in church trying to create strategies and opportunities for more people to meet with Jesus, and we'll spend more time doing that than we do praying for you to meet with Jesus today. That's a problem. Like Matt and I, we get, we get so frustrated about like things like gossip and things like divisiveness in the church, like why Christians have to fight with other Christians and why people are like, well, we don't like them, we don't like their theology, and we don't like da-da-da-da-da-da and all this stuff. And, and I asked Matt this week, I said, you know how many conversations we've had about not letting that spirit get into our church? Matt, have we ever prayed for that? He was like, oh, you're the pastor. Um, <laughs> just kidding. He did not say that. I wonder how many things in your life would be different if you just asked God about them. I wonder how many people would be different if you just asked God about them. I wonder if there's things that we wish were different about our circumstances and God is literally in heaven going, just waiting on, waiting on the word. Waiting on the word to make it different. And we're actually becoming bitter. We're actually looking to heaven going, why isn't my life different? And why don't I have the power that I need to face this? And why am I still addicted to this? And why can't I change? And why, why, why? And God's just going, I'm a relational God. I don't react to your bitterness. I react to your questions. I react to your dependency. And so if you'll just get before him, and it doesn't have to be long, and go, God, here's my heart. Here's what's making me anxious. Here's what I'm freaking out about, and you're God. And so I'm putting this on you. I want to live my life for your glory. Fill me up. And I'm telling you, if you don't get filled up after you ask, then God's not real, and stop wasting your time coming here. Like, I would so rather do something else that's less stressful than talk about him. If he's not real, let's just go. But if he is, give him a chance to be. Ask the question. Be real. What do you need from him? We want to be a praying church more than we want to play church. ACC has been a movement from the beginning that's been built on prayer. We are, guys, we cannot build this next phase on the buildings that we're working on, the buildings that we're renovating, the, the guys, come on, we're still a church without walls. But we realize that what breaks down walls is not the way we do church. What breaks down walls between where people are and where Jesus is is prayer. We've got to continue to keep prayer at the center. Number two, and this one's gonna throw you off. Ask in prayer. Number two, command in power. Command in power. There are some things that don't fit under point number one. If you're a Christian in the room, You're in a better position than Hezekiah was in. Hezekiah had the prophet Isaiah right next to him. If you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, which means your life has been washed by the blood of Jesus. So there's actually some things in your life that you don't even need to ask God for anymore. There are some things in your life that you need to command with the power that God has given you. This is about to get intense. I'm saying stop asking God for stuff he's already given you. God, I just pray that you would give me the strength to, I am more than a conqueror through him who loves me. I, am, I, I command in Jesus' name, by the blood of Jesus, I command the spirit of doubt. I command the spirit of complacency. I command the spirit of addiction. I, you, you know, as a Christian, you have the authority to do this. You know you're allowed to speak to the darkness by the blood. You don't have authority. The blood has authority over you, which means you have open access to God and power over dominions and principalities. I saw a guy in Atlanta the other day who I, I'm, I'm almost sure was demon-possessed, and 
I don't mean for this talk to get weird, but I literally thought, I was like, man, I get so freaked out when I see that, partly because, you know, we have our two kids there, and I don't really want Anderson and Elliot to see that. But if they wouldn't have been there, like, honestly, I would not. I just thought differently because I've avoided situations like that my whole life. I'm like, I could walk right up to that guy and proclaim the blood of Jesus, and I would be so confident in that moment. If you are in the blood, you're not only confident in the presence of God to ask for stuff, you're confident in your everyday life to command Like, command your future family. Command your purity. Command yourself. Why do you think David in Psalm says, bless the Lord, O my soul? He's he's talking to himself. Yeah, when you don't feel like praising God, tell yourself to praise God. You know, you have the authority over your spirit. See, command is all about authority. What has God given you authority over? If you're a husband and you're a dad, you know who God's given you authority over? Your wife and your kids. And you know what that authority is intended to create? A heart that goes before the Lord before your wife or kids ever wake up in the morning and says, God, forgive them. God, forgive me. I command the darkness to leave this home in the name of Jesus. You don't have to ask God for that. That's already yours. He's put you in charge of your home. And then watch this. If you've never taken authority before, if this is all weird, oh, this message got, whoa, real fast. If that's all strange to you, even now, it's not too late. You're still breathing. Even now, even if they don't live in your house, even if the relationship is broken, even now, even now, you can command by the blood of Jesus. And I'm telling you, you'll start to walk with a new power. What if the average Christian, just the average person, not the one who's throwing their hands up, not the one who's giving tons of money away, not, but just like, man, I just got into this. What if they were walking around Auburn, Alabama, commanding stuff in the name of Jesus? Now, don't get out of hand with this. Stay biblical. Realize what you do have authority over. I don't want people, I commend you to date me. It's not going to work. And it's illegal. And so, please, please keep it biblical. Husbands, you have authority. Fathers, you have authority. Bosses, you have authority. Moms, you have authority. And at the very least, you have authority over your own spirit. Ask in prayer, command in power. And then lastly, conquer in praise. Conquer and praise. Man. You guys really think that we do music before and after the message because that's what every church does. And I'll be honest with you, that's why we did it five years ago. Now, I think we praise God in our services because we know the weight that is on whether or not praise gets out of our mouth. In the Bible, it is praise that breaks change. It is praise that can change your spirit from that complacent, I'm good with the way things are, to that, no, I'm desperate. I've got to get that desperation out of my mouth. But there's something that happens when you don't just say it, when you sing it. And that's why we sing the songs that we do. And that's why we invite you to participate in worshiping God through singing. Because there's something powerful that happens when somebody goes from just a complacent Christian to a conqueror. Romans says that we are more than conquerors. How do I conquer what I'm facing in this life? Yes, you need to ask in prayer. Yes, you need to recognize the authority that you have in your life. But you know what you need to do more than anything? You need to praise God. Not just on Sunday mornings. And if his praise is ever on our lips, ACC, I'm telling you the chains will be broken off. When God wanted to defeat Jericho and he told the people, play music and walk circles around, they looked ridiculous. Do you know how ridiculous you're going to look with hands raised praising God as your marriage is falling apart? Like, do you know how ridiculous you look when God allows someone from your family to pass away too soon? 
and you're still going, he's faithful, and you're still going, he's good. The world doesn't understand that. But that's when your spirit conquers. And that's the moment where, I, I promise I'm done, I believe you cross over from settling for a life that's less than what God has for you to tasting the life you were fully created for. I, I want this message to never be forgotten in the life of our church. And I was like, man, it's so simple. Like ask God for stuff, command stuff, conquer. Like I want, I want us to remember this. And I literally walked over to our creative team and I was like, y'all, my sermon's done. Look what God did. Look at my points. Look at how memorable this will be for us, church. Come on, that's us. Stand to your feet all over this place. That's us, church. Can we be that church? I love Hezekiah, and I don't want this sermon to be the damage to his legacy, but may we not be people who settle for a life less than the one that's available to us in Christ Jesus. And if you gotta go, I know you gotta go today, but it would be a tragedy for us to leave right now without taking the time to praise God for the salvation that was bought for us by Jesus. So with every head bowed, eyes closed in this place, if you're here today and you feel the God of the universe saying, even now, I have heard your prayer, I've seen your tears. If you're in it right now and maybe today just spoke to you in a powerful way, if you're in this moment and you're like, Miles, I want to step into the fullness of life I was created for. This might be the first time you came to know Jesus or this might be a long time coming, but if that's you in this space, would you just lift your hand right where you are all over the Coliseum? I wanna pray for you, even now. Even now, God's got something fresh. Even now, God's got something new. Father God, in the name of Jesus, you see these hands. You know every story that's represented in this room. I pray that as we sing the words that we're about to sing, that praise would rise to heaven. One more time, God, one more time from this Coliseum, would you remind people that they're gonna get another shot? Would you remind people that even if the word has gone out, the prophet can still turn around? Would you remind people that you got new things, that you've got marriages to restore, that you've got dreams that you wanna give out, that you have the fullness of life available. God, receive these hands saying yes. Receive the weight of this worship now. In Jesus' name, amen.